welcome to Inner Wellness. I am super, super excited that today we have Ali and Erica from the Courageous Wellness Collective and Podcast. So we're going to discuss all things health and wellness, what it means to them. And yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome, Ali and Erica. Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're excited to be here. Oh, honestly, this just means so much to me. Um, I think what would be great is obviously um, I'm a massive listener of your podcast, um, but it would just be really great for our um, listeners and viewers to have a background of both of your stories because you've both been through so much um, and it would be great to, it's great to just break it down. Yeah, Erica, do you want to start? You want me to? <laughs> yeah, I can start. Um, so where to begin? Um, you know, I'll start before Ali and I came together for Courageous Wellness. And it's my personal wellness journey. It's so interesting to think about because, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up in Los Angeles in Southern California. And, you know, when I was really young, we ate really healthy. And, you know, my mom cooked all our meals at home and you know, delicious vegetable filled meals. But when I was about eight years old, my parents went through a really difficult time and it became increasingly difficult. <laughs> you know, they, it was financial struggles, um, emotional struggles, tons of stuff they were going through. And my mom started working two jobs. So she didn't have time to cook and um, prepare meals anymore. And I was also that kid on free lunch at school at that time. And as we know, I mean, in the United States, <laughs> we don't, give the most nutritious meals as part of school lunch. And so between this time, between eight and 14, you know, it was a lot of fast food, a lot of microwavable food. Um, and so I started carrying a little bit of extra weight and, you know, not the best eating habits were developed. You know, my mom and dad did their absolute best. And, you know, I, I said when I was 14, they, they kind of came out of it and everything changed for the better. Um, but you know, my food habits, my eating habits were developed. And so I always carried some extra weight and I've always been an emotional eater at that time throughout my whole life. Food was always very emotional. Um, if we were sad, we got food. If we were happy, um, we also got food. So food was very emotional. And actually when my parents came out of it, um, the big reward, we started going out to restaurants a lot. So still eating out, you know, all of that. So let's like flash forward to post-college and I was the heaviest I had ever been and I was working on a couple of TV shows. Um, both Allie and I have backgrounds in entertainment and um, I just didn't feel good about myself and I was waiting, right? Like because I had this extra weight on my body, I was just waiting if, if I lost the weight then my career would get even better. If I lost the weight, then I would meet the man of my dreams, you know, X, Y, and Z. And, you know, I now know that that is absolutely not true at all. But at the time, and I think a lot of people who want to lose weight feel like when they lose the weight, their life will begin. And so actually I, um, and, and up until that point, my eating habits, my dieting habits, I was never really a dieter. Um, I would like go to the gym for two weeks or like quit dairy for two weeks, like, you know, but it, it really was about two weeks and then it just would lose five, gain 10, right? So it was about the time when I was in my early 20s 
that um, it actually was a catalyst was a really bad date. I went on a really, really, really bad date. And I called a friend I practiced Buddhism with. Ali and I met through our Buddhist practice. Um, this was bef way before I met her. But I, I called a Buddhist friend, or maybe that Buddhist friend called me at that moment. And I had, the guy didn't call me after I went on the date and I was crying on the phone with her. And I was like, if only I was thinner, smaller, prettier, he would have called me back. Right? Like I literally said that to her on the phone and she just was like, wow, Erica, you don't value yourself at all. And it really struck me at that moment. And, um, she said, some other things <laughs> to me as well, but it, it made me go home and we chant as a part of our Buddhist practice. So I went home and I started chanting and I wrote down in front of my altar, you know, um, you are a treasure to start deeply treasuring yourself and you are precious. And I wrote these like positive affirmations down and then I just started chanting that way. And honestly, my whole life changed, you know, and I didn't lose at that point anyway, you know, I just, I loved myself. I treasured myself. My career started like exploding on these TV shows. Um, I met the man who is now my husband, the most amazing man in the world, you know, at, when I, before I lost any weight, um, you know, my whole life transformed. And then subsequently, sorry, this is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be, but I'm about to wrap up. And then subsequently, um, I started moving my body because I enjoyed it. You know, I stopped doing that. Like I'm going to go to the gym and lose 10 pounds. I just started going to the gym because I enjoyed it. I found a workout class that I really loved and I only went maybe two or three days a week. Didn't change the way I ate consciously. And I lost 50 pounds in less than a year. And it was pretty, um, unbelievable. It wasn't intentional by any means, but it was just the one I began to love and accept my body as it was, the weight really did fall off. And, you know, I've, I, I will always be an emotional eater. I'm still an emotional eater. Um, the, the accidental weight loss, as we can call it, did lead to a lot of body dysmorphia because I didn't see myself that way. So there's a lot of other layers that I've since had to go through in my nutrition and wellness journey. But that was really the start and the beginning and led into me meeting Allie and her journey. So I'll let her kind of take it from there and introduce us as a podcast as well. Sure. Um, thank you. I always love hearing your story again, even though I know it. Um, so I have a very different sort of uh, experience than Erica. My health journey has been a little bit more medical in my experience. Um, I had always been interested because I'm a performer. So as Erica said, we both have entertainment backgrounds. I've spent the last plus, decade plus. Actually, I studied in the UK back in 2006 in musical theater, but um, as, a, as a theater performer primarily and a singer. And so, um, I've always had to be like sort of conscientious how I was fueling my body. Um, so I had tried different things. I also like had a big experience with terrible skin at one point early in my twenties where I gave up dairy. I was always experimenting with nutrition really to see how it would affect me. Um, but when I was 29, which is five years ago now, um, I got diagnosed with uh, a rare form of cancer. It was a tumor on my back, in my back, I should say. Started in the skin and grew down. So it was barely any, it looked like a little bruise on my back that wasn't going away, but um, 
I sort of was suspect about it. Uh, I had never had any sort of skin stuff before. So I went, ultimately, it took over a year to get diagnosed. And then um, I had some experiences with doctors telling me to ignore it, that it was nothing. So I really, I, I'm really conscious of um, sort of being your own health advocate now. But long story short, got it diagnosed and I found out it was cancer. And I wound up having to do three surgeries. And I was really fortunate because I didn't, we caught it in the phase before it had become aggressive. So it was slow growing at that time. And I was able to have it treated only with surgeries. Now it did take three, but I didn't have to do any chemo or radiation. So I was really, really, I don't know, it's a very Buddhist thing to say, but I feel very protected in that um, scenario. And while I was healing, sort of from the final surgery when I had like 16 staples in my back and just sort of out for the count, unable to work, I found myself really craving meat, to be honest. And I had been vegetarian. I've been dairy-free now for over 10 years, but I had been vegetarian for about four years at this point. I wasn't a full vegan. I would sometimes eat fish, sometimes pescatarian, sometimes eat eggs as well. But I... I was in recovery and I was dreaming of steak and I was like, what is going on? Right? Like what is going on? I have not craved anything like this, but I was like, you know what? My body's really talking to me. So first time I really had that hit where it's like, maybe my body knows what it needs right now. Not just what I think it needs, but like it's speaking to me. So I got a, um, a piece of steak that was very well sourced. We, we have, you know, a meat sort of factory farming issue here in the U.S., which is another story we can go into. But, And I made this piece of steak and I felt amazing after eating it. So I really started to tweak my diet a little bit. I'm still a proponent of a very vegetable forward, um, whole food based diet, but I found out that my energy level skyrocketed. People around me started commenting on Oh, I've never, I've never seen you with this much energy before. So that was really the introduction um, more into how intelligent our bodies are, how even if I'm feeling it a certain way, you know, we're not immune. It doesn't matter how young and healthy you are, you know, we're all susceptible, we're not invincible. And it really gave me a new appreciation for my body. And um, and drove me into a deeper interest in nutrition specifically. So Fast forward, these are two long journeys. They're going to get short in a second. Erica and I met through Buddhism, as she mentioned. We had known each other about five years. I had been living in Japan. When I came back from Japan after my contracts were done, we really had connected over reading some books. We saw that each other was reading on Instagram and we started spending more time together and really shared these stories with each other for the first time in the way that we are now sharing publicly. And realize that if we have these health stories, other people do too, and how much we could learn by hearing other people's stories. Because ultimately, we, we have a storytelling background. That's, that's what we come from in entertainment. So we started Courageous Wellness with very little knowledge. <laughs> we didn't know how to do a podcast, anything like that. We just really started because we felt really passionate about it and a passion about sharing these stories. And from that, in the past, it's been about two years since we were, actually, it's like two years almost to the day. It was, right? Yeah, it's getting close. Um, 
and we just started. Our sound was bad. We like, we really didn't know what we were doing, but it's grown so much. And from there, we both went back to school. We're integrative um, nutrition health coaches now, and we've grown Courageous Wellness from more than just a podcast platform, but now as well as a more of a, a wellness collective as, as well. So that's, that's the long-winded version of who we are and how we came to be. That's absolutely amazing. And I think it's really important, like you touched on so many um, things about like self-love and mindset, how that's really important to your health. But I think what really speaks to me is um, I come from TV production background as well. So I've always been in that industry. And for the longest time, like I feel that my health had such an impact working at that level, at that high stress, fast pace, work hard, hard and hard. And it was so such an excessive lifestyle. And I feel like, because I hold on to everything, all my emotions and my stress, that that's manifested itself as, as endometriosis. So how do you feel like, how did you, did you feel it affected your health working in that industry? And did you kind of neglect yourself because you were trying to keep up with it? Um, as a performer, it wasn't that I neglected my health. It was that I think I pushed my body in ways that, uh, didn't allow for recovery from vocal injuries to physical stuff where, you know, you're in so much pain after doing, I was doing 15 shows a week when I was in Tokyo and it was just, um, you know, needing to go to the physiotherapist all the time. And, um, and I just realized for years and years and years and years straight, I never allowed myself to really rest. Um, so that was more for me. Yes, I do think emotional stuff isn't a huge part of health and definitely a part of my cancer journey. But it was like, I think Erica could probably speak more to like the high stress industry aspect of it. For me as a performer, it was just like constantly pushing myself without allowing for true recovery. Yeah, I I think from the behind the scenes aspect of it, um, I, it definitely was pretty brutal. I remember when I was doing commercials, there was one day I worked, I think from like six or 7 AM until like 10 o'clock at night. And that was just normal, <laughs> you know, at that time. But, um, yeah, you know, I had a lot of gut and digestion stuff actually, um, for a really long time up until probably about two years ago when we started the podcast and, um, about shortly before that was when I started really diving into nutrition um, but I do think it manifested in, in some serious gut dysbiosis and, and yeah, I was just eating crap, <laughs> you know, like, and I had no education, honestly, I think that's what startles me the most is just, I think whatever, cause I, I'm sure like people are lawyers and doctors and nurses and it's, it's, it's just, we aren't educated on how to fuel our bodies properly. And that's not to say you can't like enjoy, which we do like pizza and wine and, you know, sugar, whatever it is. But I, I lived for so long thinking that it was just like calories in calories out. And that's just not true. And so I think because of that, I, even when I was trying to lose weight, calorie counting or all this stuff, it, I wasn't fueling my body. And, and definitely during those years that I was doing commercials and TV, I just, I ate crap and I'm an emotional eater. So I'd be eating crap and then I'd have like an emotional eating moment. And it just, it was all just piling and piling on top of each other. So yeah. 
your body just kind of sounds like enough and it, and I think like that's what I think COVID has been has been tough for a lot of people but at the same time it's been like enough and it's given everyone's bodies a chance to go listen to me and kind of tune in with yourself a lot more like I'm a massive believer in that and um, so kind of the mindset how has it been how I know you guys talk about on your um podcast how it's a holistic approach and it has to come from all angles of your life to kind of feel that improvement but how important is the mindset and the self-love like to making those changes I, I believe it's the foundation of everything but what's your guys thoughts and and Ali did you get into Buddhism before your um before you were ill yeah that's a good question um well the first part of that we absolutely think it's you know we're aligned with you in the fact that it's absolutely vital because you can you know you can eat the or drink the green juice you can eat the kale but if you're like if your mind isn't right you know it's so deeply connected to our bodies that it doesn't really matter um and in fact we've done episodes on that even the psychology of eating and eric and i do have this spiritual practice which we use as the foundation for even our business and when things get stressful it's really amazing to have a business partner who has a similar sort of tool to use as far as um or perspective and the way that they try to approach even obstacles and stress that ultimately comes along. Um, I actually came to Buddhism right, I'm going to say like, it was about a year before that I was diagnosed that I got, I was introduced to the practice and about six months before that I really sort of joined officially and said, yeah, this is what works for me. Um, because we do practice with an organization, it's international, but it's a lay person organization. It's a very sort of like, call it a very like practical form of Buddhism. You know, there's many different sects and practices of uh, Buddhist philosophy and ours um, is called Nichiren Buddhism. So we practice with an international organization with no temples, no priests. It's really a personal practice. And then we, we also have groups that we meet with in local, locally and, and otherwise as well. So it's really a peace movement, a peace organization, but fundamentally um, grounded in this daily practice. And I was introduced through a couple friends um, that I was doing a musical in New York with. And I just tried it out for a while. Um, and then I realized how sort of life-changing it was on a daily basis for me. And then I have to say, it's interesting because I think I actually had the cancer prior to coming to the practice, but I didn't know I had the cancer till about just under a year into having been introduced to it. So I felt incredibly grateful that I had this tool that helps me deal with my mind, my emotions, my life condition, all of these things, especially when going through something as stressful as um, a cancer diagnosis. And to answer, you know, to that part about self-love and like the whole holistic part of wellness and lifestyle. You know, we had, I think it was in January of 2019, we had a nutritionist, Robert Yang on the podcast. And he said something that's really stayed with me, you know, a year and a half later. And he talked about the fact that like, if you think of our health in terms of we have these buckets, like we have a bucket. And when the bucket starts overflowing, that's when we get sick, right? Like it doesn't matter. 
that's when chronic illness happens, cancer happens, whatever, you're going to get sick. And he said, so what we have to do, and, and when there's a trauma, any sort of trauma that we can't control, right? Like COVID, a global pandemic, losing our job, um, death, whatever it may be, your bucket is going to go way up, right? Because stress, we all know stress affects our body so, so much. So we can't control the traumas that happen to us that will raise our buckets to the tippy tippy top. So we have to maintain like low levels of this bucket. So when a trauma happens or something we can't control happens, it doesn't overflow and we don't get sick. So I, that's just stayed with me since he said it. I really like the, the, the analogy of it. And so it's like, how do we keep our buckets low? Of course, eating healthy, nutritious meals is a part of it, but that's not the whole part of it, right? We have to keep our mental health, our spiritual health, um, our physical health. And that looks different for every single person, but, um, it's all really important or else we will get sick. And I think that's why, I mean, people are sicker than ever before. And we have all this knowledge and information and access, yet we're just getting sicker and sicker and sicker. So if it was just one pill or one diet or one physical exercise, we'd all be great. But it really is the whole, the whole thing. <laughs> you can't ignore. You have to, it's, and I think that's what's hard about it is, and I, I think too, like having a spiritual foundation that is a daily practice feel like you have to have a practice, whatever it may be. It's different for everybody, but having one thing that you're disciplined in does kind of bleed into everything else as well. I think it's, I think it's super interesting in the podcast that you bring on people who talk about like, um, finance literacy and, and cause that's obviously a major stress player. And it's interesting. It's, we do live in a world where it's like, well, let's just take one pill. And if that doesn't fix it, then you're like, enough. I, I've had enough of that and move on to the next thing. And I think what I, what I also love that you strongly say on it is everyone should go to therapy. And I am such a believer of that. Like, even if you think you're of sound mind, but like, how can you, like, from your guys' experience, how do you think we can kind of switch that people start seeing stress as bad as sugar and you know, that is actually a major, major killer in our, in our world now. And it just, how do we, how do we flip that? How do we get people to listen to their bodies? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good question. And it's like the million dollar question, you know, um, something that's really been enlightening to me on this subject is learning more about, um, the nervous system because it's, um, it really shows you how stress is intricately linked to um, to our health, especially to our gut. Um, and and the gut, as you know, Erica often talks about, is sort of it's you know we call it our second brain, but in some ways it's our first brain. It really it it has deep um, impact on the immune system, on our mental health. Our serotonin is created in the gut, you know, um, on digestive. I, obviously our digestive health, but all other things too, even inflammation, which is really thought to be the root of most chronic illness now. Um, if you have this leaky gut because your gut villi don't keep the toxins out of your bloodstream, um, which happens through food and all different other things um, and stress, it, it really can 
be the root cause of so much. So I, one of the ways I talk about as far as stress management goes, because you're right, Georgia, like we live in a society where um, we don't, we are not able, our human bodies are not able to decipher the difference between an actual threat where we need to go into this fight or flight mode and actually to, in order to survive versus a perceived threat, like you know, a stressful email or, you know, someone messing up your order at Starbucks, like your body should not have the same raging sort of stress levels, um, that it does from running from a tiger, you know, and sometimes stress is really real. And that response, which is our, our sympathetic nervous system, that fight or flight response is really important. It's key to survival. But what happens is we wind up living in that in that sort of systemic response in the 21st century where our bodies can't rest and digest, which is when our parasympathetic nervous system is activated. And so I think, you know, what we talk about a lot is um, just the management of it, activating the parasympathetic nervous system, really doing some deep breathing exercises, um, singing, using your, using your voice, actually singing, chanting, like we do for Buddhism, like actually activates the vagus nerve, which is central in the parasympathetic nervous system. There's lots of things you can do yoga, gentle, gentle movement. Um, but it actually affects what's going on in your gut, which ultimately affects what's going on in your mind and going on all over your body. So I don't know, obviously, like you said, with COVID, it's given many, many people on this planet the opportunity to have a forced slowdown because I don't know that we will survive if we continue to live in the way that we've been living. Our bodies are not meant to live this way. And I think a realization for me has been, because I'm like the biggest culprit of it all, of the go, 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 go life before this, is that you know our value is because we're human. It's not like we're human beings. We're not human doings. And oftentimes we define our value through what we do, not just because we exist and innately there's dignity in that, right? Like in life, in human life. And that's, you know, it's, it's why there's massive movements going on because we don't live in a world that supports truly like human life. Exactly. So, yeah. Honestly, amazing. <laughs> no, and it's, I think that's the thing it's just kind of it's also that education of bringing people back to it and I feel like the different conversations that I've had with women and um like on a on a health note it always comes back to like when I mention the gut when I mention nutrition they're like oh, I didn't realize it could have such an effect and I feel like the education of all the different things that are in your body people need to be more educated on that I think it goes back to a real base level of the education that's out there it's really it's yeah one day I hope people start conning on <laughs> we can only really yeah we really have to be our own health advocates because like it's not out there and we're not taught any any of this stuff which is horrifying <laughs> it's just mad and it's, and it's it's like so many things could be avoided and I think that's a sad thing is there's so many different diseases and conditions that actually if people if doctors were given more time nutrition and came at it at a full approach rather than just here's a here's a drug that shuts off all these other parts of your body but you'll feel good so it's kind of having that it's it's we can only hope 
Um, talking about the medical world, um, obviously I know Ali, it's probably more relevant to you, but have you ever experienced like medical gender bias, like because you're a woman that you haven't been taken seriously? Has that? Have you ever had an experience of that at all? Um, I don't. That's a good question. I know it. It's rampant in. Um, the system, and I know especially for conditions like endometriosis, um, we did do an episode on the show with Lara Parker, who um, is a big advocate for women's health, and she really is like so open and out there with her own um, her own experience and her fears and her medical experiences and and everything. She's just really, really like puts it all on the line and. Um, so I know that it exists. I think for me, it's interesting. I went to the first time that I brought up what was going on with my back was when I went into my doctor's office because I was having a really bad winter bug. And I, I thought it was just like a virus and it was going to go away, but it was three weeks in and I was like, oh, I was really feeling terrible. And I said, you know, I just need to make sure it's not like an infection in my chest or something. So my doctor wasn't there and she couldn't see me. So I, I was like, it's okay. I'll go see another doctor in the practice, a, a male doctor. And I said, when I'm in, hey, can you check out my back? And he was the one who like barely glanced at it and told me to ignore it. And it wasn't until I went back to my doctor and she really spent the time and she took proper notes and then she followed up the next time I was in to look at it that she then sent the referral to go get it really checked out by a specialist. So I don't know if it was overt gender bias by any means, but it was neglect as far as um, really being listened to. Now that might be one doctor from another doctor, but that was just my personal um, experience. I also think that this in the medical world, we think that like, you know, professionals, medical professionals are just like, gods like know all cure alls but they're humans and some of them are incredibly talented incredibly skilled but they often have differing opinions too and I had that sort of mid-surgery within the same massive like hospital um we I had oncology and dermatology deeply uh disagreeing with each other so that was a complex thing too which I won't go into the details of but it took me having a giant hole in my back to then get sent to the operating room in oncology and getting the proper tests. So I don't know. To me, it hasn't been an overt experience. Do I know that gender bias exists? Absolutely. Do we know statistically that there is systemic racism? Um, in especially, I, I don't know statistically in the UK, but I know in the US and it's something we're dealing with, something we talk about on the show. Absolutely. So until we can drastically change these systems, we do need to educate ourselves as much as possible to be our own health advocates and don't, if something doesn't feel right to you, like trust that. That's sort of my advice in that. Yeah. Right amazing and it's so so true like your gut is always talking to you your body's always talking to you and I think we all just need to remember that and it's also it's been quite interesting having different conversations with people is you're actually like especially in America when you pay for your health care 
you're allowed to interview your doctor like you are paying and you can fire them if you're not happy with it and it's it's again it's all it's it's fascinating because all of these conversations always end up coming back to mindset on what you believe and what you how you view things so it is a, i mean the mindset's just absolutely amazing and um, another thing i kind of wanted to touch on is women and body image i mean um erica you dealt with this a lot and how how do we kind of in this society obviously you guys have got the podcast you're really big on social media and everything like how do we keep ourselves channeled and away from letting that affect us but also obviously you can help build businesses and build communities online but how do we stop ourselves that affecting us mentally and our body image like how do we approach that as women how do we progress in that yeah it's a great it's a great question and and honestly i think it's lifetime work i think it's really hard you know obviously i have this story and this experience of weight loss and weight gain and body dysmorphia and emotional eating but i think every single woman experiences difficult body image right at different levels i've never met a woman who doesn't <laughs> i just never met a woman who doesn't and so i think you know What's really helped me is reading and educating myself on where this comes from. And I think it's, it's really interesting again, and, and I'm, I'm really diving deeper into this work actually right now, um, but really it's like, where does this ideal, quote, ideal um, body image even come from? Where does it stem from? Whose gaze is it? Is it a white male gaze? Was it always this way? So I'm, I can't speak 100% to it right now because I'm currently reading and doing the research and the work to try to really deeply understand this um, dysfunctional body um, image that has been placed on women and especially, right, women of color. It's, it's so interesting, all of this, but there isn't one woman who doesn't struggle with their bodies. And I think for me, it's, I have to really talk to myself, you know, like doing this work, having an understanding of nutrition and food and, you know, especially in this country, right? Like how messed up our food system is and how much, um, food is actually working against us. They want us to be addicted to sugar, what that does to our health, X, Y, and Z. But then, you know, you just, I've gotten to a place where I just have to be really kind and accepting of myself and my choices. And actually through this quarantine and this pandemic, I've actually been um, the kindest to myself I ever have been um, because food and access and all of that just had such a different meaning than ever before. Like it's just such a privilege to even have food in your refrigerator and have choice and um yeah. And then leaning into those cravings when I do have them, you know, and being like, it's okay if my spoon is in a jar of peanut butter tonight, or I'm having three extra slices of Swiss cheese. It, it's, it's learning that, you know, just like one healthy meal doesn't make you skinny. One or two unhealthy meals don't change your body composition, but we act like it does, right? It's like you eat the pizza or you eat the box of donuts or whatever it is that's your food and you just hate yourself. And I think that's where I'm trying to go. It's like, that's not even real because that doesn't really change your body, you know, one meal, one binge, whatever. 
So anyway, it's not really answering your question, but I'm currently doing the work. A book that really helped me that I've already finished and read is um, Women, Food, and God by Janine Roth. And I think it's a great book regardless of your gender identity or your relationship with spirituality. Um, it's just a really good book because she talks about our relationship with food is really the key to everything, right? Like mindset, everything we're talking about stems from what is our relationship with food and our bodies. And something that she talks about too, that's really interesting to me is, is a lot of times we look to food and for some people it's alcohol or shopping or sex or whatever it may be, right? We all have our thing, but it's really to like prevent us from feeling pain and feeling our feelings. And I definitely do that with food. If I'm sad, if I'm having a hard day, um, historically I've wanted to eat, right? Instead of just sitting there. And I thought that was really interesting. And she works to try to get women. It's like, if you're really able to do this work that she presents in the book, her goal is just, you can eat whatever you want and just stop when you're full. And I think that's a really interesting concept too. So I really would recommend for anyone with an emotional relationship to food or their body, Women, Food, and God is a great place to start. But I think it is lifelong work. And I've been in this, you know, my weight loss journey, my self-love journey, it's been about six years. It was 2013, I think that it began. It was 2014 when I lost the weight. Um, you know, it's like now I'm just getting to a place where I feel like I have some food freedom and I'm not constantly, or I just, I feel like my relationship with food is changing, right? Like six years into this work. So I think it's really about being kind to yourself through the process and, and yeah, it, it is a lifelong journey and it's fascinating what I am learning about where the ideal female form and body comes from and how it's just total it's total BS. Like it doesn't exist. And learning that it's, it's just, it's fascinating to me. And so empowering as well. And I think, um, what also I'd, I'd love to get, um, your guys thoughts about is food accessibility and affordability is a massive passion of, of yours. And you touched upon it previously, like how, how it sets you up failing the dieting industry I've spoken about that today and it's all designed to make you fail it's designed to keep you going to the doctors in that so they're making money and it's it's, it's, it's all just so corrupt but so what are your guys mission what would you like to do what's what kind of the goal for you both to make a change this is you know that's a good question. It's also the more we learn or the more I'm, I'll speak for myself, the more I learn, the more daunting it feels. Um, because as much as this started out as an, a mission of ours in the beginning or grew pretty early on, um, even through some of our own experiences in our life, um, you know, we, we did some work with a local, it's local to Los Angeles, um, the West side food bank. We've done episodes on this about food insecurity, how it, um, it displaces people from their homes. We have a big um, problem with that, even in our city. And it's not, you know, it's not what you think. It's not what like people think it is, right? Like it's sometimes it's the difference between because we have such incredibly high costs of housing. Sometimes the difference for some families is either buying food or staying in their home. It's um, so food insecurity is rampant. 
and then um, it sort of is tied into all aspects of life. And um, there's so many inequities, which I think are coming more to light um, on a global level, which uh, is really important right now. But it's interesting because, you know, the thing you touched on, which is what's crazy, is that from the individual perspective, anything that's highly processed, which is most of the food in the Western world, um, think of it as something that's manufactured in a lab with a bliss point that's supposed to hit this bliss point in the human brain, right? To keep you addicted, but there's no real nutritional value in most of these things. So basically you're not, your body's not getting what it needs by eating it. So you just want to eat more and more and more. And this is the concept of empty calories. Now we're not calorie counters, but as we know, calories in and calories out are not what matter, right? That's been sort of disproven. And, you know, a hundred calories of a snack pack is very different than like an apple and some, I don't know, broccoli, whatever you want to kind of equate it to. So the food industry is very, very smart and knows how to manipulate this. And then you add in marketing, marketing to certain communities. Um, you add in the agricultural problem that we have specifically in this country too, which is, you know, factory farming, it's big ag, it's like subsidized corn, soy, wheat. And we are not, I'm not an expert on this by any means. I've just started doing my own research on this. And it's like, the more you research, the more you realize like all these different systems are in on it. Big pharma, you know, the medical system, all of it. And we have a, most of our, most of our medical system is for profit too, works directly with the pharmaceutical companies. So the food that's manufactured is there to like make you sick so that you buy more medicine, <laughs> which like ultimately, you know, feeds into the medical system. It's, it's a really crazy, intricate, it's mind boggling. And so, yes, we're very passionate about food affordability and accessibility because not only is a lot of the food manufactured to like set first people to fail basically in the sense that like, you know, it's there to keep you addicted and sick, just like any other addictive substance. But um, also in this country, at least you can go in certain parts of Los Angeles and they're what we call food deserts, which there's no access like certain communities literally don't even have access to fresh food, even if they wanted that as a choice. And if you're on any sort of, you know, subsidy, government subsidy or anything like that, you know, you, you have only access to soda and um, chips or whatever processed foods and not fresh foods. It's also going to like financially cost you more. There's even incentives to make the fresh foods cheaper here now. Like, that the West Side Food Bank that we worked with has done these initiatives, but if people don't have access to it, they can't buy it. So it's like, yeah, go yeah, ahead. like even farmers markets now, I think, um, in Los Angeles, which are so amazing, they, they take food stamps, but how do you get to the farmer's market? If you're the, the closest one is 
over an hour away. So there's so many different issues. And then even with um, school lunch, like I mentioned, right, I was on free lunch as a child and free breakfast. And that's actually, I think in um, the United States, thousands and thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of children, I don't know the exact number, but it's, it's many in Los Angeles alone. That's like their only like guaranteed source of food for the whole day, right? And in our country, the food lobbyists are so incredible because the sauce on the pizza or the ketchup and the french fries count as vegetables. It's mind-blowing, right? It's just, it's unbelievably cruel and corrupt. Honestly, it's, it really boils our blood. And so as far as where we want to go with that as part of our mission with Courageous Wellness, where we're still figuring it out. At this point, we are just trying to raise so much awareness, contribute to these, um, you know, organizations that are already doing the work and working really hard to make fresh food um, and education accessible. So I'm sure it's, I know it's going to continue to evolve and grow, um, but it's, it's definitely been since our inception, something that is so important to both of us. Well, it definitely sounds courageous. It sounds like you are going to be taking on just so many, so many things coming out of the woodwork. Like it just, I've, I've, I've done so, I've, I'm going deep into my research on it as well. And you just read these different things and the people that are involved and the, the way it's just like how has it allowed to get bad like in the world health organization keeps saying especially in the states it's like most obese obese country there is yet no one's bringing any laws in or kind of putting their foot down that things are going to change and it's just like you're just like because they're all in on it like it's just like that's that's what is really key. And I think that's another thing that COVID has brought to light. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's so much great things that are happening right now. I think this time is really an opportunity that we have to take because politics, it's, it's, it's part of the solution, right? Like we need good politicians, but we have to fundamentally transform like the human heart right now. Because at the end of the day, the problem is, I think the majority of people just don't care or they, maybe it's not that they don't care, they don't know, but they don't care to know because their privilege, it doesn't affect them, right? Like it doesn't, if it doesn't affect you, that doesn't mean it's still not important because how can you truly be well if your community and your country and your, it's just, you can't, like it doesn't exist. You can be the healthiest, most successful person in the world. But if the world is burning, then what's the point? Yeah. And Georgia, to your point too, I think, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people, a lot of systems, I mean, it comes down to money, right? Yeah. Power and money. So until we fundamentally change, like as Erica said, the human heart, but also change the systems, which are deeply rooted in many, like hundreds of years of, you know, being developed this way. Um, you know, it's going to take some time, but I think people are waking up to the fact, I hope, you know, that it's worth doing the work to change them. Yeah. And kind of, and everyone's kind of coming around to it a bit more now, seeing people as people and really having that awareness for one another. And I think I so hope that you guys get the change because I just, honestly, like, I just think of 
like over here we have Aldi and you can go and get a broccoli for like 10p and it makes healthy food affordable and yeah that's probably genetically modified and had pesticides on it and all that jazz a whole other ball game but it's accessible and honestly, I think so much, there is so much emphasis on organic and all of that. And that's great. And we can, obviously yeah. we know the benefits to that, but at the end of the day, just eat vegetables. Like it doesn't matter. I think people get so caught up in like, oh, it's so like hippie or privileged or wealthy to eat organic. Screw organic. Like if you have that choice and you can do that, go do it, but just go eat fruits and vegetables. That's so much better for you or real food, just eat real food and you'll, you're going to, you'll be fine. Deal with the organic and the pesticide, all of that later. Like your health yeah. will improve so much just from eating real food. I always say like, does, does your food have ingredients or is it an ingredient? Like that's a nice kind of rule of thumb, you know? And obviously if you eat something processed one time, it's like not the end of the world. It's just like, is your diet based on processed food or is it based on stuff that comes from the planet, from the earth, you know? Can you understand what's on the back of the packet? I, I like to play that game. <laughs> yeah. Can you pronounce it? If it does have ingredients, are the ingredients, you, you like, do you register what those ingredients are? Are they almonds? Are they, you know, whatever it might be? Or is it something you've never heard of? Because if it's something that you've never heard of, then chances are you might want to avoid it. Exactly. No, completely. It's, again, it's just, it's just education and, and learning and kind of, as you say, like people coming together to talk about it and that's when we make a change and I think that that's what's amazing about online is people are coming together and the voices are getting louder and there's, there's got to be a point in time when they have to start listening and I guess like in America now massively it's it's on that turn so we can we can only hope that it triggers other things which would be amazing and um, I guess like honestly I could sit here talking to you guys for forever um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna start wrapping it up and honestly like thank you so much for sending through the article the other week um the ten top tips that was amazing. I normally end each each interview with what your top three tips are, but I guess you've had such a broad range of guests who've shared their version of their wellness and what it means to them. What would you say your 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 biggest three things are that you've taken away from all the different guests that you've had? I know it's a lot, but what would you say your top three that really stick in your mind? That, yeah. I'll start and I'll take one and then Al, you can take another one too. Um, one that really jumps out at me, even as you say that, is something we've learned is that every single person who has a wellness story, um, success story, you know, entrepreneurial journey through wellness, they all have a daily practice. They all have a daily practice that they commit to every single day. And so I think that is really key. And I think that can be really hard for so many people. Um, but daily practice is such a big one. Be that, you know, we chant, be it someone else meditates, be it earthing. There's so many different daily practices, but every single person we've interviewed has a daily practice. Yeah, that's definitely the one that jumps out the most. I would say, um, a second one is, as Erica said, we we have um, a lot of people that we've talked to are entrepreneurs in some sense, um, and I would say that they have this ability to, if they really have a mission attached to what they're doing, regardless of what area it's in, um, if they really feel so strongly that they need to 
contribute and create value in whatever way, whether it's being from making kombucha to, you know, to financial services for women or whatever that might be, um, that they look at obstacles that come along in their journey um, and no's that come along, like every time they're said no, they, they're told no, that that's not an end point for them. Because we're all going to have obstacles. We're all going to be rejected. We're all going to be told no, but that the mission behind the work that they feel passionate about is stronger for them than the rejection of the no's. That would be my second one. Erica, do you have a third? I did. And I just lost it while you were talking about that. I was like, oh, that just reminded me. Oh, I got it. It came right back. Um, this is another one. And we also um, did it too, is just start everybody just started um, before they were ready, before it was perfect, and they grew and developed from there. And it's so common to hear from so many people um, that, you know, the road is not linear. You're not going to launch your podcast or launch your um, fitness studio or workout plan and poof, you know, then you're making millions of dollars with millions of followers. That's not how it works. But everyone yeah, everyone has a daily practice, is not deterred by the word no, and just started. So I think those are three really big things to that's a wellness a, journey. Amazing advice. And that's spoken straight to me, like obviously setting up in a wellness like this. You guys generally are such an inspiration of what you've grown and what you're working towards. Honestly, it means so much for you to join me tonight. It really does. Um, and where can people find you? So we are on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or anywhere podcasts are found. You can find us. We're Courageous Wellness. And you can um, find us online at CourageousWellnessPodcast.com. And we also offer health coaching services. And then, um, oh, we're on Instagram at Courageous Wellness. (laughs) Yeah. And we release new episodes every single Wednesday. So if you subscribe, you'll get a brand new episode every Wednesday and we have a new website launching this summer. So you can look out for that as well. Exciting times ahead. Um, honestly, thank you guys so, so much. Honestly, like it does mean the world to me. Thank you so, so much. You're so wonderful. Thank you. thank you for having us on and you, you have like such a bright light about you and like such an amazing energy that you can like even feel over a screen. So over Zoom. for having us. <laughs> And yeah, thank you for having us. And we're so excited for your, you know, your platform as well. I mean, what you're doing is really important and it's always good to have friends in different countries. And when we can travel again, maybe we'll do a, we'll go to like a wellness thing in the UK. That'd be fun. I love that. That's amazing. Okay. Bye.